For more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. Good morning, Winnipeg! Good morning, Manitoba! For all those joining us live this morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms, we say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. No, you can't get rid of us that easily with Dave Manouk, with Ezra Ginsberg. I'm your host, Drew Mandel, here for the next couple of hours to talk about the Winnipeg Jets. The race to the playoffs continues. Six games to go. Pardon me. Yeah, six games to go for the Jets, six games to go for the Calgary Flames, eight games to go for the Nashville Predators. Which of those teams are going to make it in? We'll talk about all of that on this morning's program. Look back at last night's Jets victory, a much needed victory over the Detroit Red Wings. Get you set for tomorrow against the New Jersey Devils. And of course, talk about the future and foundation of this Winnipeg Jets franchise. Gentlemen, it's good to see you both. It's only been about 10 hours since we last got together, but 10 hours apart from you guys is just too much time in my books. So it's good to see you both back and at it on this Saturday morning. Yeah, we should have just rolled it into the Saturday show, last night's post-game show. But, you know, Drew, you mentioned foundation. I said that I don't want to talk about foundation after what happened to my house last year. So if we could just use a different word to describe <laughs> that. Structure. structure. Structure is better. Let's go with jet structure. But, yeah, obviously, you know, a lot has happened over the last week, including a very disappointing road trip. But, I mean, the Jets got everything they wanted last night except a Flames loss, right? And Vancouver was doing their best job. But, I mean, that's just what Calgary does. They go to extra time, right? So, mm-hmm. Huge win, an explosion of goals, uh, and obviously we're going to get into tomorrow's Devils game. But if the Jets are able to, you know, turn this into a winning streak here, uh, then it's going to go a long way in clinching that last playoff berth. Because as we know, the games next week against Calgary and Nashville are pretty much that's the season right there. That's ultimately that's probably going to decide who goes into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And you know, so the, the, a win against the Devils would definitely help. But you had to start off this homestand with a big win against the Red Wings, and they did. Well, you mentioned the games uh, next week, and you mentioned the Flames game last night, and I don't know anybody uh, if, if how many people stayed up to watch the end of it, but the Canucks had that lead until late, until a late Flames power play with about four minutes to go. Uh, they tied it up on the power play, maybe even less than that. Uh, then they actually had another power play in regulation where they could have won. It goes to overtime where the Flames win. They get their two points that they absolutely desperately needed uh, to keep pace with the two points that the Jets got uh, last night against the Red so you know what we have here are two teams that have been limping uh limping to the playoffs and the jets you know you look at their schedule it's a, it's a harder schedule than that of the calgary flames you look at the flames schedule which i have up on my second screen here they have the ducks they have the blackhawks they have the the jets obviously we know about that game coming up on wednesday which is going to be a massive tilt uh in downtown winnipeg they have the Canucks uh, next Saturday in Vancouver. Then they finish with the Predators and the Sharks. Four of the six are are uh, at home for the Flames. And really, except for the game against the Jets, they're all against non-playoff teams. Whereas we know the Jets' schedule is, is more difficult than that. Um, Devils, very good team. Flames, we know that. Predators, we know what they are. The Sharks, well, that's a team the Jets have been having trouble with all season long. 
And then they finish with the Wild and the Avs, two teams that are certainly playoff teams in the Western Conference. So, and they could still be but, fighting for first in the Central by then. So, like, mm-hmm. those, those games against the Wild and the Avalanche could have meaning for those teams, too. And I, I just right. wanted to point out, boys, and, and then Dave, jump in here. Um, the Jets have the tiebreaker with Calgary, too. So they're really three points, three points behind. Up. It's regulation wins. If you look mm-hmm. at the regulation wins, the Jets have 41 and the Flames have 33. So, I mean, you don't have to be a mathematician like my my great dad to, to be able to figure that one out. The Jets, they're not going to catch – the Flames are not going to catch the Jets. Well, you you, you might not have to be a, a mathematician, but you do need some reading uh, comprehension, Ginsburg, because the Jets have 41 regular and overtime wins. The Flames have 33. It's that, regulation wins, it's 32-28 in favor of the Jets. Sorry. You're yeah. right. You're right. Yep. But but again, that's that's going to – I mean, in theory, the Flames could tie the Jets – or pass the Jets, but it's not. It, look, if they if they do that, they if they did that, then the Jets would be behind them anyways, right? Yeah, so right. the Jets. You're right, Drew. You're, you're right, Drew. I had the wrong numbers. I was looking at the wrong column on NHL.com. I apologize. But the, the point yeah. is, the Jets have the tiebreaker. Now, you're and, and you're 100 right about that. And a nicer person than me would have just let it go, but I'm not that person. You know right, that I have to nice, throw right. you yeah. under the bus at every opportunity yeah. I get. So that was yeah, just me enough. living up to my reputation uh, of, of you know of trying to sabotage you at each and every opportunity. So you know, good morning to you for that as, as well. Let, let's talk about this. You know, we'll, we'll get into. Oh, I don't get to be part of the preamble. You do. All Go right. ahead. Sorry, no, I no. apologize, Dave. M. I'm done with the show. You're done. You're out. Okay. There's a Dave. Dave M's had enough. He's he's. I'm officially removing myself from the chat. There you go. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I am Dave and Ezra Ginsburg. <laughs> You've been wanting to do that for the last 48 hours. You've just, just ever since I figured out, it out. Yeah. yeah just, just found out about that. Drew, I'm worried that Dave's not getting enough sleep here. I'm getting, you know, <laughs> like between Will, the neck snapping guy, and, and whatever that just was. That, I don't know what that was either. That was, uh, that was my plea for help. <laughs> and attention well both, both in both cases it was successful i would say See, the last 14 years of the show has been my plea for help <laughs> uh, uh no i mean i just i just gonna throw in my two cents go, if i go could. ahead please true thank you mm-hmm. um not gonna oh okay that. sorry dave that's enough out of you no go <laughs> ahead no nothing i i just think that it's it's just an interesting um situation to set the way it set itself up and the way the jets have, have played this, but yeah, you're going to have to have, you're getting, you have luck right now. You have a devil's team that's playing tonight. We talked about this on yesterday's show, but it's worth pointing out again. Mm-hmm. And you have a flames team that's playing on Tuesday night or Wednesday. Is it Wednesday night? The flame play Tuesday and then they Tuesday travel, night. Yeah. They, travel they play Wednesday. in Chicago, right? They play in Chicago, I think. And then, no, then home, they, Chicago. home to Chicago. And then, yeah. and, and the funny part is, you know, you say these are easy games for the flames, but the flames has not shown that any game is easy. Like guys, yeah. they played against the Canucks and they had to come back and win and apparently it was a I, and I wasn't watching so I can't say it but I just saw the comments on Twitter it could just been irate Jets fans but evidently the the penalty that Pedersen was was handed that tied the game was 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 a phantom high stick so I, I you know admittedly I was I was watching it in bed on my phone so I didn't have a big screen but it looked to me like a legitimate high stick that it caught uh, that it caught the flame yeah. player in the ear so I, I wasn't quite sure about that and again, I, I just saw yeah and again that could just sort of be tired and sort of falling asleep but I, I thought it was a legitimate high stick yeah I don't anyways the point is that the flames haven't shown I mean they had to come back against the Canucks so I just think that that is worth noting because I mean look I, I believe as as he said Markstrom was in net and when I looked they had given up, he had given up four goals on 14 shots. Yeah. So, I mean, Calgary is not by any stretch of the imagination, like got it together because if you're, you know, now the Wranglers on the other hand, their goaltender is phenomenal, but, and he's leading the AHL in every category, but I don't think he's ready for primetime just yet. And so the fact is that 
it's it's not an easy situation for Calgary. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. And as as he said, it, you know, next week is going to be fascinating. See for the Jets how it. I mean, you obviously can't overlook the Devils because they're the Devils. But the the reality is, you have to. You know, this is the Nashville and Calgary games are going to be pretty fun to watch. Yeah, uh, and uh, they are. And I mean, and this is sort of the exciting time of the season now for everybody here. It sort of feels a little bit anticlimactic because it's taken such a tailspin to make these games uh as exciting or as monumental as they're going to need to be that's uh, you know and matthew says that the flames player lifted uh Pedersen's stick into his own face which certainly uh, that's what I, that the was case. the yeah that yeah. was the comment that a lot of people were saying so right okay well the refs made the call and the flames you know take advantage of it i can't uh, add anything to this conversation because i didn't watch the game so <laughs> oh, you went to bed nice and early there, big boy. You, you, nice and early. You cuddled yeah. up and, and went and went to yeah. Dreamland, did you? Brushed my teeth, put my PJs on, went to bed, Drew. Yeah, but you know, Dave was watching upstairs. You could have you could have gone upstairs and watched with him. You didn't have to stay. No, I was house. downstairs at that point. Oh, okay. I was going down after the show. Come on, I unplug, go right down, have a little post amble with Dave. Eddie. Dave's told me that I'm welcome to anything in his house, but he doesn't want me to come up to his bed and snuggle with. Yeah, him. as soon as he gets, as soon as I hear, as soon as I hear Ginsburg on the stairs, I I immediately cut him off. I run run down like whoa whoa whoa, big yeah. fella. This <laughs> is not. Dave has a padlock on his bedroom. Yeah, I've got like one of those like I've got one of those like you know at the bar where like the, the VIP it's closed. I'm like no 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 no. This <laughs> This is not this entrance is not open to you. Please go around the back. The, a, red, a red stanchion keeping Ezzy out of the areas that he's not allowed to go to at Dave's house. Um, what I wanted to talk about. So obviously the Jets got the win last night, which we touched on in uh, extensive detail on the post game show, and it was a good win, and there was everything that the Jets needed. Mm-hmm. But you know, I still don't know that the way the lines are currently constructed is going to be a long term. Uh, solution. I mean, we talked about it. Shifley on the wing, it worked last night. Now, if you look at the advanced stats and you look at that line of uh, of Connor, Dubois, and Shifley, they weren't great. So, you know, again, they scored, and, you know, Connor had a goal, Shifley had a goal, Dubois had a, you know, had scoring chances. So it was effective in terms of puck in the net, which is something the Jets team has not been doing uh, really at all for the last couple of months. But long term, you know, and long term could even be Sunday, although I don't know that they're going to switch things up that quickly. You know, I just don't know that that line is going to be, is going to be a successful line long term. You know, we talked ad nauseum about Connor Dubois and Ehlers, and it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So I ask you guys in this case, you know, what do you think for the final six games of the season, the Jets lineup needs to be the forward wise to maximize uh, the talents that they have and, and, and ensure that they're playing their best possible hockey from now until the end of the regular season? Yeah, it's it's really the most important question because we know with the exception of a couple tweaks, guys, that the deep pairings, are, we know what the deep pairings are going to be most likely, mm-hmm. right? Like if, you know, Morrissey and, De, you know, sometimes bonus will break up Morrissey and DeMello, but most likely you're talking about Morrissey, DeMello, Dylan Pionk, and then Sandberg and Schmidt, right? And then Kyle Capo, Bianco, and Logan Stanley, your seventh and eighth defenseman, right? So really what they have to figure out are the forward lines, and I called it the Nemesnikov conundrum, but really, Drew, it's not just the Nemesnikov conundrum, right? Like, it's the Shifley conundrum because, look, Shifley and Wheeler is not working, right? Like, we've gone over this going back to the, you know, the years three, four years ago, five years ago when it was Connor Shifley, Wheeler, right? Like, that line just isn't good enough defensively and they don't drive enough offensive. They don't drive enough offense, I should say, at, at even strength. And, you know, I'm I'm with you guys. We've talked about this a lot. Like, 
you know, Dubois, Connor Ehlers, that makes the most sense. But for whatever reason, you know, Rick Bonus doesn't want to go with that. But Rick Bonus even said, guys, uh, after practice that, you know, this is possible, possible that it's not going to be a long-term solution. So, mm-hmm. um, you he know, said th- that this... it might even, he said it might even change in the game last night. Right. You know, he said that, you know, he said to Shifley and he said, you know, he said to Shifley, I believe, you know, look, Mark, if it's not working, tap me on the shoulder and we'll figure something else out. They just needed to try something different. Uh, you know, uh, it ended up working in terms of the goal scoring, but sure. Uh, you know, but you're also playing a Red Wings team yes. that isn't very good, right? And when you're talking about the Devils, we know who ha- they have up the middle: Nico Hishier, Jack Hughes, and the Eric Halla is their third line center. But Hishier and Hughes, like, I think you know, I would be shocked if once we get into the playoffs, and I realize that the Jets haven't clinched yet, but we think they're going to get in. And I just don't see, you know, Shifley. <laughs> you, think, you think they're going to get in? <laughs> well, sure, I, I, sure, I, I agree. I mean, it's not. Let's just say that it's still. Uh, they, they still have some work to do, as we know, right? Right. Um, but I don't see it, Dave, in a playoff series. Like, I just don't see Shifley. I don't see you going with Nemesnikov as your second line center. I mean, he's just Shifley's a better center than Nemesnikov. Mm-hmm. Like, just pure offensively, right? So you know, it, it's tough to, to to really know right now what you're going to do here because, I mean, naturally, you, you put Shifley back at centering, but, you know, Shifley, Wheeler, and Ehlers, like, that just doesn't work. Um, so, I mean, the, the obvious one here to move up into the top six is Nino Niederreiter. And I'm not sure, you know, if, if that was what you guys were thinking as well, but to me, that would be the natural move. I like Niederreiter in the top six, and then like, I guess what I'm saying is, like, if it's between Niederreiter and Nemesnikov on the third line, I would be putting Nemesnikov on the wing on the third line. And then, obviously, you know, he can take face-offs in whatever situations he needs to. But uh, I, I don't see, you know, I, I could see, you know, maybe Shifley starting on the wing against the Devils and playing another few games. But I, I don't see it for the last six games of the year. Well, you know, the only thing I would say is that... I. You know, I think as he's right, I think, first of all, you're going to see that continue because even though the numbers drew, you know, didn't bear out that it was super successful against a Detroit team that had played the night before mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, you know, it's a one game sample. Right. And so you want to kind of see what happens as they get more comfortable. I mean, it's, it is a move from center to go to wing and you it's an adjustment. Right. And you still saw instances of, my, of Mark Shifley trying to play almost as if he's the center and not a winger. So. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I think that's an interesting conundrum for the Jets, but I think that they'll maybe have a, like, uh, look, unless they get cave, absolutely caved by the Devils tomorrow, uh, I suspect that you'll see that because, you know, the whole point of the complaints, if you will, with Paul Maurice was the line blender was out too frequently and you didn't get an opportunity to see these lines. Now, yes, I'm on board. I've been on board as saying, you know, Dubois should play with Connor and Ehlers. But yesterday, the Ehlers, Nemesnikov, Wheeler line worked. And quite honestly, we looked at a Wheeler who looked somewhat rejuvenated from the way he had looked previously. So, yeah, I was on vocally on board saying move, reduce Blake Wheeler's minutes to get his legs a little fresher or reduce his role. And yet yesterday, he looked kind of like Blake Wheeler of old to a certain degree. So uh, I know I'm, I say, I'm not saying that you couldn't put Morgan Bear in there or you know, Nino Niederreiter and they would similarly, because I think Nikolai Ehlers was, was the, was the driver yesterday. And I think he was going and as a result, I think he got his line going, but I think that, you know, like I said, that, that line seemed to work. Now we're working with a very small sample size, admittedly only the one game, but at the same time, you know, you just, you do wonder what it will look like as he's right. You're not going to keep Vlad Nemesnikov, who is a Swiss army knife, even though he's not Swiss, 
but he is a guy who has shown versatility at any of the three positions. He can play center, he can play right, he can play left. Mm-hmm. And that's good. And same as Nino Niederreiter, right? He also can play. So that's good when you have, I mean, Jeff Hamilton asked Rick Bonus about it, right? He said, it's, it's a, you know, it's nice to have guys who are low maintenance and, and, and are kind of put me in. So that to me is, is an interesting one. But again, like I said, we'll see how it go- looks against a team like the Devils, who again, will be a play tonight, mm-hmm. but they're a better team than the Detroit Red Wings. So if the, De- the Jets can improve, and I, I, you know, as Peter's saying, and I just had acknowledged that uh, it, Peter in the chat, I should say, is saying it's a one game, and I agree, it is one game. But then you see what it looks like in a second game, and if it looks good and it looks better in a second game, then you see, especially with these big matchups coming up, Ezzy, you see how it looks against the Devils and how the it looks against the Flames. Right, and and I think the the problem I guess I have is like the thing with Niederreiter is I, I don't really have a huge issue with him on the third line because he adds offensive punch. But as we know, Niederreiter is a guy that like he has to have the puck, like he's a shooter, right? He's not a distributor, and I don't mm-hmm. know if his line mates are. I just don't know if that's the best fit there for Niederreiter, right? Like I think you know he gives you maybe a little bit more offense than Nemesnikov would on the third line, or maybe you know Morgan Barron would on the third line. But I just think that Morgan Barron on the fourth line, then he's not getting enough time. Like he is getting. You know his minutes on the PK, Dave. Yeah, um, but I think it buries Morgan Barron a little bit, who I think has played really well. Like I think, you yeah, know, Barron deserves those elevated minutes, right? Whether you know that ends up being on the second line or or third line. So that's what happens when you have Shifley in the middle. Nemesnikov then pushes Niederreiter down. Uh, so you know, I guess you know we know that Connor and Dubois guys are not. That's the pair that they're not breaking up. So I don't know if that means that you go, you know, Shifley, Ehlers, Niederreiter. You know, I like that line a lot. And then you go Connor Dubois Wheeler. But we know that, you know, Wheeler, you know, struggled offensively at times. But that's what I would probably do. My ideal six through would be Connor Dubois Wheeler. And then I'd go Shifley, Ehlers, and Niederreiter. And I understand completely where you're coming from with that perspective. I mean, with Nemesnikov, I mean, he, you know, look, he's a guy who was playing a depth role on the other teams that he's been on this season. He's not, he's a guy, he's not a guy that was, you know, getting, uh, you know, headline minutes. He comes here and he, he's really being relied on to be, you know, to play in a, in a heavier role. I don't know that long-term at this stage of his career that he can necessarily stand up to those minutes against the elevated talent. I mean, like you said, he's, you know, if these lines stay together, he's going to be going up against, you know, some really talented centermen uh, on the New Jersey Devils tomorrow night. I mean, and again, second half of back-to-back, yes, but we saw New Jersey. They play Chicago, so that's really only like half of a game. Fair enough. We saw New Jersey uh, against the Jets not that long ago and New Jersey, with their speed just made the jets look like a very slow hockey team. And I don't know that playing a speed game is necessarily going to, you know, play into the strengths of, of uh, Nemesnikov at this stage of his career. And so the jets, uh, you know, again, last night was great in that they relieved the pressure, the, the, the boiling pot of water got the lid taken off of it and it's no longer rattling and making a whole bunch of noise, but it's still a long way away from being, you know, a nice cool pot of water. It can quickly get turned up again, uh, heat wise, a- 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 and start to overflow. You're gonna cook some pasta here, Drew, or what? Uh, we made some oatmeal earlier, so I nice. mean, the the oatmeal analogy. Well, was it Quakers? Better. Uh, I, I, it was Quakers it, puts it, out a nice oatmeal. Okay, I'll be honest. I don't know the brand that it was. Laura put it on the stove. I wasn't paying that much attention to it. But you know, the, again, the Jets are stepping up. 
against the New Jersey Devils, and they're going to have to even elevate their game even more. One point behind the Hurricanes, the Devils are, Drew, and the Rangers are only one point behind the Devils. So like we talked about about a month ago, Mm -hmm. I feel like, uh, you know, it looked like the Devils and the Rangers were locked in. But basically, similar to the Central, those the Devils could finish one, two, or three. We know they're not going to be in a wild card spot, but so, you know, these points are huge for the Devils because they obviously want to finish first in the division. Right. Look, it's a third game in four nights for the Devils. So, you know, the Jets are fortunate to be catching them where they are, uh, you know, on the schedule. And, you know, it's going to be similar for the Calgary Flames on Wednesday that it's going to be a three and four nights, uh, you know, at that point in time for for the Jets. And the Jets don't need to apologize for that because they, yeah, they have to deal with it already in the that's season. That's right. They've had to play their share of back-to-back. So there's no question that it's, uh, that it's you know, just the way the schedule falls. But it's incumbent on the Jets to take advantage of that. And that is the big lingering question. Can this team take advantage of that? Or do they play one good game against a not very good Detroit Red Wings team and then get fat on themselves and not match the effort again? And I know, um, I mean... It's foolish of me to read too much into the latter half of the third period last night when it's six nothing yeah, and they I mean, and the game is is, is done and, and and away with. But I wonder. I mean, those two goals the Devils score, the the Red Wings scored. Find the power play goal, whatever. But you know, I don't know that Neil Pionk needs to take that penalty that then leads to the power play opportunity. Just I wonder if that you know maybe giving up those two goals in the latter half of the third period allows the team to say sort of say to themselves hey look we got away from what we need to do that's successful and this other team scored two goals we need to ensure i don't think those two goals are are that meaningful drew i I, like that's fair i i I think you would i think you would not like you would prefer that you know you got the shutout for hellebuck right right but i I mean i think that those are garbage i mean that's the way i look at it i don't think there's going to be any spillover i think the jets got their big goal explosion that we've yeah. been waiting for, right? Like we thought it would happen against Arizona. We thought it would happen against San Jose. It never came. So you score six goals and those goals are, well, you know, but- like the Perron goal was fluky, right? Like yeah. it was, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't put too too much stock in it. I think, you know, they're feeling probably the most confident they've felt about their game in, in quite a while. But the last time they got a big goal explosion against the Oilers on that Saturday night where Jack Campbell couldn't stop anything, it's not like that carried over. That goal explosion occurred and then they were back to really square one when it came but to that, but drew that game was ugly that was a seven five game right like it wasn't right it wasn't it wasn't like they were up six i mean you're up six nothing it's a natural tendency to say okay we're we're, we're we've got this one in the bag and so it's it's kind of you take your foot off the gas i mean i think it's a natural thing and like look yeah the i look it'll be very interesting i mean i think what we're saying and i think we all are in agreement that they carry over to what you're going to see against the new jersey devils on sunday with the only expected change being that um josh morrissey will return to the lineup and uh and logan stanley would come out that would be my guess again we don't know if carson coolman obviously he was the answer to why the jets weren't able to score goals (laughs) and so we don't know if he'll stay in but he most likely will and so yeah it'll be interesting to see how this team looks on uh, or how they you know perform on Sunday, so that's why I think tomorrow's post game show will be an interesting one. But for right now, yeah, I mean it's hard to say, right? Is I, I mean, look, I, I've long since just to quickly kind of return to the line situation. I know we're going to go to break right away, but yeah, you know, I, I've long said that Blake Wheeler would would play well in a third line role alongside Adam Lowry, and insert any you know if it's Vlad Nemestikov, I don't care who it is. I think you could have a, a solid 
contributing third line. So, anyways, we'll but see we're what happens. Game, we're game seventy six, right, Dave? Like that's not gonna. If it would have happened, it, yeah, I mean, it would have happened already, right? I, I, I was just gonna say the only thing I would like to see is Morgan Barron get elevated in the lineup because I think he's yeah. merited that, and so I think Morgan Barron being on the fourth line is a bit of a disservice. And I know he's in his first full year, and and so whatever, that's why I called but, it the Nemesnikov conundrum. Yeah, no, you're right. Because right, you like you can't take him out of the top nine. And you can't take Niederreiter out of the top nine. So Wheeler. But we've talked about that a lot. Well, top nine. I mean, I think Wheeler at the very least would be a a third line guy. And I agree. I mean, based on his play, like, look, he scored a nice goal yesterday. Really nice pass from Wheeler's. uh, But I just, Rick Bonus has not put him in a third line role. Right. So I just don't see it happening at this point in the season. But we will find out when we come back. Frank Saravelli from dailyfaceoff.com joins us for more Jets talk, more NHL talk. Sean Reynolds still to come in the bottom of the second hour. It's a Saturday morning, the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're not going anywhere except a commercial break. Stay tuned. Much more to come. We're live on YouTube and all of our social media platforms. Bottom of hour number one. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg with you on this Saturday morning. Reminder, the Illegal curve post game show tomorrow evening 8 45 after the jets and the devils were thrilled to welcome to the program from dailyfaceoff.com our good friend frank saravelli joins us on the program frank good morning how are you buddy pretty good guys how you holding up big win uh, last night well the jets made it easy on themselves for once so uh... oh, i was like oh Thank God, there's the one. I can go on a legal curve today and it'll be happy. That's right. The heart palpitations that the city of Winnipeg has been experiencing for the last three months uh, got a night off at the very least. Uh, A much-needed, easy victory for the Winnipeg Jets where easy has not uh, come easy to the team uh, as of late. Obviously, Frank brought you on to talk about the Jets, talk about the uh, playoff races all around the league. I want to start not with last night's game because, you know, one game against the uh, Red Wings, you know, yes, you take the victory. You're happy about that from the Jets' perspective. Where does this team go this offseason? I mean, they might still squeak into the playoffs, but if they do so, I don't think anybody expects that they're going to go on a run or anything like that. Connor Hellebuck's presence notwithstanding. With all the uncertainty, with all the contracts, with the eye roll heard around the NHL earlier this week after the loss in San Jose, from your perspective and from what you're hearing, where does this franchise go from here this offseason? I wish I had an answer for you, but I don't. And I think, to me, the biggest crux of the Winnipeg Jets offseason, everyone's focused on what happens next with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler and the group of forwards. To me, it it kind of hinges squarely on what happens next with Connor Hellebuck. He's just like them entering the last year of his deal. They're sort of all tied together in a, in a neat package. And if he is not going to be coming back Mm -hmm. as a free agent on the back end of that deal. I think that's priority number one to figure out an answer for the jets. You know, you're going to have to trade him. I think if, if you're not going to bring him back on the other end and, and sign an extension. And so that's an important question to answer. I don't know what Connor Hellebuck is thinking. I would imagine the jets are thinking, let's get this guy locked up long-term, but if he wants out, then that's going to be the story of the Jets offseason if that's what happens. I have no knowledge one way or the other, but to me, I think everyone's just been focused on the wrong thing. 
I would agree with that because you know he's he's the hardest to replace, right, Frank? That's what that's what you're getting at there. He's your Vesna Trophy winning goaltender, and the team has been built around him. Obviously, in addition to Shifley and and Connor and Wheeler, so you're absolutely right. You know, he's he's the big one of those three. Obviously, you know, throw Dubois in there as well. There's a lot of lot of, lot of moving pieces that you know, right? Wanted to ask you, uh, Frank, about Calgary because you know we're obviously focused on the Western Conference playoff race here. Nashville, I think you would agree, has been a big surprise. Big sellers at the trade deadline, including selling Nino Niederreiter to the Jets, uh, but they're five points back. So really, it's between the Jets and and the Flames right now. And kind of similar question to Drew's question about the Jets, right? Like, even if the Flames squeak into the playoffs, like. Where are you going from here? Because I don't think a lot of people think the Flames are, you know, primed for a long playoff run. I mean, you hear that, you know, there could be a move coming up behind the bench with with Daryl Sutter. You hear, you know, a lot of players aren't the happiest with him. Jonathan Huberto, you know, we know what happened there. And he obviously hasn't had anywhere close to the 115-point season. But what do you make of the Flames? They've made it interesting here. They're still two points back. But it's obviously been a disappointing year regardless if they get in. Yeah, I mean... If they even get in, I think it'll be a miracle based on how poorly they've played through stretches, the lack of confidence that they've shown. But then you get a moment again, like last night, where it makes you think, just like it does in Winnipeg. It's like, hey, maybe this team actually could be something. And where I view the Calgary Flames is sort of where the Jets were last season. They were having a disappointing year when a lot of people felt like they were primed to be one of the contenders. I picked the jets to win the Stanley cup last year. Um, so I have worn that, uh, with a badge of honor. I at least I did for the first half of this year while they were leading the central division for a huge chunk of the season. And I, I kind of see them locked in, in in the same sort of way that the jets were They they're pot committed to the group that they have. And there's not, especially for the Flames, even more so than the Jets, there's not a lot of wiggle room in terms of the contracts that they have. The contracts for Huberto and Uyghur don't kick in until next season. So, uh, you know, Huberto is essentially doubling his salary. Uyghur, huge jump in pay. And for eight years, plus the other guys that you have on that Flames team that you'd consider moving, they're vastly exceeding their value in terms of what they bring. Like, look at the season that, um, you know, Tyler Toffoli has had relative to his cap hit has been incredibly impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elias Lindholm, you know, vastly exceeds his cap hit. You're not, even though they're en- entering the final year of their deal, you're not going to trade those guys. So I think the big question that they've been asking in Calgary is, can next year's flames be this year's version of the jets? And I guess you're seeing now the answer very late in the season as to why that's a pitfall to fall into. You know, Frank, we we know that the transition from from a coach to a GM is not an easy one to make. But of course, everyone here in Manitoba is hoping for the best for Barry Barry Trotz from Dauphin. But you know, what was your when you had a conversation, obviously with David Poyle, who was the only GM in in Nashville history? What was what gave you what assurances did he have that Barry Trotz would be able to transition into that role as the next GM? Yeah, the question was actually kind of pointed because I talked to scouts and front office executives every day and they were saying, look, I know I know the head coaches think they can be GMs, but they're often <laughs> the worst talent evaluators because they have such a narrow-minded focus and view. And it's not so much necessarily on team building. It's sometimes more individual focus. And you, you hear all the time the conversations between GM and coach I want this guy. And it's sort of this back and forth where it never really works out. So why is Barry Trotz 
the right fit at the right time for the Preds? And the answer from David Poyle is he's basically been training Barry Trotz since 1983. It's a long time. That's the time that uh, Barry Trotz made the transition from player in Washington Capitals camp with David Poyle as GM right into being a scout. And so he was a scout for a long time, then was an AHL coach before finally when uh, David Poyle went to Nashville to become NHL head coach. And it's been off to the races since then. So he has a different background that is not, you know, sort of super focused just on coaching. It's a whole more holistic view of the game. And so I think that's important. Plus he was the first sort of person in Nashville to, to coin the term, predator's way this is the predator's way of doing things and i think he's you know a lot of his temperament a lot of his personality um a lot of the way that he looks at building things with a community-minded aspect if that makes any sense that's going to translate directly over so there's not going to be a big gap between the only voice of the Nashville Predators that they've ever known now to Barry Trotz. So it's going to be pretty seamless in that way, in terms of the way that things are run. And so um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's not often that you see uh, a former head coach make the jump to, to GM and, and he just seems uniquely qualified in that sense that it's not just from one perspective that he's watched the game. Frank Saravelli of dailyfaceoff.com, our guest this Saturday morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. You know, Frank, you talk about coaching and, and here in Winnipeg for the start of the year, it was all about Rick Bonus and how he was getting more out of this team that looked very similar to last year's team and, and you know, and, and, and the great job that he was doing. And then, of course, as the tailspin uh, for the Jets has occurred, you know, questions of, of Bonus's coaching have, have come to the forefront as well as they're naturally going to. You know, when you saw the interaction, you know, and Bonus's comments at, earlier in the week, did you think that maybe that got blown out of proportion? Or did you think that there was a fair, that there's a disconnect between what he wants and what certainly, you know, what Mark Scheifele would say one of the, the driving forces on this team wants? And and how do those two things sort of, uh, how, how, does, how does that get resolved with six games to go in the regular season? I think you got your answer last night, didn't you? Mm -hmm. I mean, you see the move to the wing and you got the admission sort of early on. It was almost like reading between the lines of what um, Rick Bonus said publicly and then kind of what we heard. It's like, I don't know, me convincing, trying to convince my son to, to eat something that he's never tried before. <laughs> Trust me, you'll like it. And if you don't, you can spit it out. And it was kind of like, if you don't like playing on the wing or it doesn't work or you're not comfortable, we'll go do something else. Don't worry, but I need you to try it. And it's a sort of leap of faith that you got from Shifley on the buy-in. Mm -hmm. And then you also, you know, got from Rick bonus to be able to convince him. So how does that play itself out? I have no idea in the long term. I have no idea in the 40,000 foot view. We only have one game sample size to, to look at it, but, I mean, I think Ken Weave said it, desperate times call for desperate measures. Like, this is it. If you're, if you're going to finally, you know, close the door and, and put the, the uh, Preds and the Flames out of their misery, you've only got a week to do it. You, you need to win essentially three, four games and make it happen. And Detroit was such a prime opportunity to do so. And it was just, it wasn't just the win, but it's also who scored 
how they how relieved they they felt and looked that I think, you know, it's sort of like getting the monkey off your back. Now you feel like you can relax a bit. And uh, that to me was a great positive sign for the Jets that there was enough buy-in to trust the coach to say, hey, I know this looks different. This is definitely going to feel different, but let's try it. Frank, just switching over to the Eastern Conference, obviously, you know, we're mainly focused on, on the West here. You're, you're out East and, you know, we're just absolutely loving that playoff race and, you know, cheering. At least I am. I can't speak for Drew and Dave, but hoping that the Panthers get in and our old buddy, uh, Paul Maurice, one point back of the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Penguins do have a game in hand, but Florida's got uh, Buffalo and who do, they have uh, Columbus tonight. And then they've got Buffalo coming up. And I think uh, they have another non-playoff team, maybe Ottawa coming up after that. I haven't checked the Pittsburgh schedule, but you know, how I guess how would you assess Paul Maurice's the job he has done this year as head coach of the Panthers? I mean, not even close to the uh, 115 or whatever point season it was last year, winning the President's Trophy. But how badly does this team need to get into the playoffs? And conversely, I mean, how devastating would it be for Pittsburgh to miss the playoffs, considering that that's all they do is make the playoffs every single year? Yeah, it would be 17 in a row for the Penguins, um, I think, 17 or 18. It's a long, long time. Um, I think it's 17. And for the Panthers, like, I don't think that this is all on Paul Maurice, but it's been a very average coaching year, I think, um, is a polite way to put it. Um, they had 122 points last year. And here's yeah, the thing, about- Frank, I missed seven points there. It's it sounds funny, but like seven points is often the difference between making and missing the playoffs. Yeah. So we'll just add that on there. Um, 122 points to now scrapping to make the playoffs. The funny thing about the Panthers and their offseason is when you talk to their general manager, you talk to other people inside their organization and they say, we knew we were going to take a step back when you trade off two pieces like you know, Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger in one deal, they're not properly balanced enough to withstand a loss of someone like Weger on defense. Like their defense just isn't deep enough. It's not big enough. It, it can't move the puck well enough to survive. They've had question marks with their goaltending, not just with Sergei Bobrovsky, who was good last year, but this year he struggled. And then the other big thing is, has been Spencer Knight and whatever he's dealing with off the ice, which sounds more like a mental health reset, um, that it's been a trying year. All that said, the focus from the Panthers was, at very worst, we're going to be a seventh <laughs> or eighth seed. They had no thought in their mind that they'd be taking this big of a step back to potentially miss the playoffs. So will it hurt? Yes, but I don't think they're – you know, I think they did go into this season eyes wide open. Here's the thing with the Penguins, and they have the Bruins and Flyers back-to-back this weekend. Four points by the Pens this weekend, and it'll basically, as I said uh, with the Flames and Preds, it'll basically put the Panthers out of their misery. So this is a huge opportunity for Pittsburgh to get in and seal the deal. Um, I, I still think at the end of the day, uh, they will get in, regardless of whether they split this weekend, even if they lose both games. Um, I think they're in the driver's seat and they've shown like just enough, this ability to kind of turn it on when it matters most, you know, sort of Sidney Crosby dragging and willing this team into the playoffs that that's what I'd expect to happen. 
Well, Frank, I'm contractually obligated to ask about anything Manitoban and always bring it back to somehow be Manitoba. So I'm going to take it to the battle of friendly Manitoba versus Minnesota. Nice, but not talking about the Jets, of course. But Dean Evanson, you know, of course, born in, born in Flin Flon, raised in Brandon. He's doing a heck of a job in Minnesota, a team that nobody seems to be talking about yet. They're top of the standings right now in the Central. I know you and Mike McKenna were talking about them as whether as to whether or not they are a legit Stanley Cup contender. So what are your thoughts about these Minnesota Wilds? Are they contenders or are they pretenders? Well, they're not pretenders, but I'm not ready to call them contenders either. Um, <laughs> they're a really good team. They can be incredibly difficult to play against. I think Philip Gustafson has been an incredible eye-opener this year. But I also saw this same team being one of the most mentally weak and fragile teams earlier this year. And it wasn't that all that long ago coming out of the All-Star break. I watched all three of their games coming out of the break, and I was like, uh-uh, that, that they don't have it. And the run that they've been on, one regulation loss in 21 games, I did not see coming. So where does this team stack up? I think in the West, the easy answer is from Colorado, who I envision to be the team to beat in the West, to the, the Pacific jumbled mess that's in the other side of the bracket <laughs> from one to six in that group. So I'm excluding the Kraken and Winnipeg. I don't think there's really much at all separating one to six. I think it's a relative coin flip, maybe 52 or 53% shaded to one team or the other. But other than that, it's, it's a dead heat. And I think the Wilds certainly fall into that group. Would I be absolutely shocked if I woke up in June and the Wilder in the Stanley Cup final? No, I wouldn't. But I'm just not ready to label them, you know, it's true bona fide contenders just yet, even as hot as this run has been. Frank Saravelli, our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, dailyfaceoff.com is where you can find all of Frank's work. Uh, Frank, earlier this week, we heard from Marty Walsh, the new executive director of the NHL uh, Players Association, taking over from the Fair brother, the Donald Fear and his brother. You know, in their tenure, I don't know that there was really a coherent approach from the PA's perspective, or if there was, I'm not sure what it was. What did you think of Marty Walsh's introductory press conference, and what do you think that he's going to bring to the NHL PA in terms of their dealings with the NHL and the owners, uh, you know, in terms of anything collective bargaining related? I don't know what exactly he's going to bring, but I can tell you what I know the players are hoping he brings. And that's a fresh voice mm -hmm. and a fresh approach. He's a non hockey hire. Uh, traditionally the nuances of dealing with this sport and inside of it, that generally hasn't worked out all that well, but then again, whatever the NHLPA has done previously hasn't worked out either because it's ended bloody for just about every executive <laughs> director that's ever been in the role. And that includes Donald fear who was pushed out unceremoniously by a vote to, uh, to create this sort of succession period that mm -hmm. he wasn't given a choice to call his own shot. They said, we're starting this, whether you like it or not. And so that's important context to keep in mind. What did I make of Marty Walsh and his press conference uh, on Thursday, I'm trying to think of a polite way to say this because it doesn't really matter is he sounded like a hockey newborn. And if that's what he sounded like, it's because that's exactly what he is. Mm -hmm. he, he went to the Toronto offices of the NHLPA for the first time ever on Monday. He doesn't know the CBA. He doesn't know the people. He doesn't know the issues. 
and that's not a knock. How could you hire someone that just was helping trying to settle a railroad strike as the <laughs> Department of Labor secretary and then previously was the mayor of Boston to expect to know the ins and outs of, of a really nuanced and niche situation with the NHLPA? You, well, you can't. So the answer, uh, just to wrap on that, mm -hmm. is it doesn't matter what he looks like today or what he sounds like today. All that's going to matter is, you know, six months from now, a year from now, when he has a chance to sink his teeth in and gets up to speed, that he's ready to roll and do what the players want him to accomplish, which is grow revenue, get an international hockey calendar, be ready for the next CBA negotiations, try and get the cap moving this summer. There's a whole list of things, health and safety, health insurance, but he needs to get up to speed first. Well, you mentioned the international hockey calendar because I mean I know you're a baseball guy. You're you know from Philly. We you know a lot of people, even casual fans, were tuned into the World Baseball Classic. And you know last time I checked, both the NHL and the NHLPA like generating revenue. They like money. Both sides do. Who doesn't? So, yeah, who doesn't exactly? So we know that Major League Baseball and the man, you know, was able to finally figure out a way to put on the the World Baseball Classic and a huge success that it was. How is it that the NHL and the NHLPA can't make this a priority or, or, or haven't been able to find a way to make this a priority when it just seems like it would be a win-win situation all around for everybody? I think the fact that Connor McDavid will be 28 years old by the time he can put on a Team Canada jersey for the first time in his career as a professional men's hockey player mm -hmm. is an abysmal failure. It's an unmitigated 100%. disaster. Yeah. And the fact that um, it's gone on this long is the biggest stain, not just on Donald Fear's legacy, someone who came in championing, championing um, international hockey and growing the game internationally, along with Gary Bettman on the other side mm -hmm. and, and Bill Daly, deputy commissioner. They're all going to wear the stink of that and the stain of that, and they should. I've said it's the biggest stain on all of their legacies. That said... The reason why they haven't is because the NHL tries to use international hockey as a bargaining chip. That's but, it can't be that anymore. If you are really legitimately serious and truly uh, um, sincere about growing the game internationally, you have to set aside an international calendar that's a separate document from anything related to the CBA. You can't do it. You can't have... This tied to that and, oh, if you do this, we'll do that. No, no, no. That's not how it can work. You need a robust World Cup of Hockey schedule. Mm -hmm. And because that tournament has been so bastardized, 2004 to 2016 to question marks, who knows when, mm -hmm. and we've had weird teams playing in it and it's not truly <laughs> best on best. And, oh, by the way, it always seems to fall before the next lockout is coming. You, you have to really say, okay, we're introducing it again in 2025 and it's coming back in 27, 29, 31, et cetera, whatever the cadence is that you suggest. And you have to allow players to go to the Olympics. It's not just one or the other. Why can't you have both? And more to the point, if you don't find a window in time in your schedule to play the World Cup of Hockey, you know, September wasn't ideal, I don't think, for anyone. Then you need to carve out time in February. And whatever that is, that's sort of your dead window every time that this comes up in the calendar, whether it's every two years or whatever it is. 
you know, you play the World Cup every four and the Olympics every four. So you have them in alternate years. Like, it doesn't take a brainiac to figure this out, but it needs to stop being used as a bargaining chip. Well, you know, what I would say to that, and I agree with what you've said, but I don't know that the Olympics needs to be factored in. I mean, you know, the Olympics doesn't factor into baseball. It's not like you have Major League Baseball players playing in the Olympics. It doesn't factor. The only other sport that has, you know, professionals playing in it at the Olympic level is basketball. And they haven't really. So, you know, if you get rid of, if you commit to the World Cup of Hockey, can't you just sort of you know, put the Olympics to the side because I understand why the NHL doesn't want to be involved in the Olympics because it doesn't generate revenue for the owners. So from a business perspective, I get it. And as long as you're committing to one best on best competition, why do you even need the Olympics there? Can't, you know, doesn't Connor McDavid get the same level of pride wearing the, the Maple Leaf if there is a consistent World Cup of Hockey two years, you know, every couple of years. It's only, you know, recency bias that the Olympics were ever a factor. The World Cup would be every four years, Drew. Whatever, whenever, whatever the sequence is. I'm just saying yeah. that from the owner's perspective, I understand why there's no want or desire to go to the Olympics. I, I just think the World Cup of hockey has been a joke. It definitely has been. No argument there. Yeah, so you're saying if you commit to it and you make it a thing, can you just bypass the Olympics? The answer mm-hmm. is yes. I just don't have any faith that <laughs> anyone is actually going to commit to the World Cup in a serious way and then that the players are going to buy in. They're juiced and jacked up for the Olympics. They like the rings. They like being around the other best players in the world. They like being... Uh, you know, in the Olympic Village and the idea of everyone around the world is watching and tuned into the Olympics. The amazing thing about the World Baseball Classic was the TV numbers. Mm -hmm. That 64% of the entire country of Japan was watching the World Baseball Classic championship game. That huge swaths of every country were watching the games that mattered. We didn't get that buy-in in the U.S., I don't know about Canada. I don't. I, I think that I heard vague rumblings about the Canadian team in the World Baseball Classic. Not a lot. The numbers were the numbers on TV were I think about an average Jays game is I think what I saw from uh, you know in terms of their numbers, which are which would be middling is the definition thereof. So you're proving my point. No one in North America cares about any of these sort of fake created championships. Yeah, I'm 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 with I'm with Frank here. I mean. Obviously, you know, we don't know if the NHL is going to participate in the next Olympics, but I, I, I at least agree. I agree with both of your points, by the way. I can see what you're saying, but I agree with Frank. The last World Cup of hockey, even though it was exciting, I think you'd agree, Frank, for the younger generation. I think that's like the Team North America and, and I guess lesser so Team Europe, even though they made it to the final. I think that was exciting for kind of the 18 to 30 crowd, if you want to call it that. But the novelty. That's, that's that exactly. It was a novelty. So you have to get back to whatever it is. Let's go with eight countries in the World Cup of hockey. Maybe you go 10. I'm not sure. Okay, so what do you do with Russia? That's that's hockey's other big problem. Mm-hmm. Is it's yep. not just Russia. It's it's that the rest of the countries outside of like the major powers, you know, Sweden, Finland, Russia, US, Canada, maybe you throw in like the Czechs some years, maybe yep. you throw in the Swiss, like whoever it is is the hot team at that moment in time. It never extends past six interesting teams. And so you end up with, if you're going to fill out eight teams, two blowouts, or if it's 10 teams, four. Like it's hockey doesn't have that same runway that maybe some other sports do. It's less of a problem in the Olympics because 
they have like usually 12, it's, it's, um, you know, uh, three different groupings of four and you play your round Robin games and then those other teams are kind of out and it's never really an issue. Yeah. Look, maybe you could do that with the world cup. I don't know why you couldn't, but. I also think Frank, it's more the players. I, I, I might be wrong here because obviously you talk to players more than I do. Uh, it seems like the players want to go to the Olympics more than have a, a World Cup of hockey. And that's that's what was unfortunate about the last Winter Olympics. They couldn't get it going. And I, I like so it's it's hard to know in an ideal world. I think we would get a World Cup of hockey every two to four years and we would also get the Olympics. Um, but I think that's what, what you're leaning at is the appetite from the star players, especially is the Olympics over the World Cup. I just don't understand the idea that it's one or the other. We're talking about sure. every two years alternating between world cup and Olympics so that every four years you're having two best on best battles. They can be both be different flavors. They can be in different locations. They can still generate the money that you want from the world cup. But why does that have to come at the expense of the Olympics? Yeah. Money. <laughs> I mean, the NHL owners don't want to give up the, don't want to give up the, the, the revenue. Okay. You're again, you're making my argument for me. This can't be about money. This can't be about a bargaining chip. The NHL wants power and control. That's it. And they don't get it because the Olympics tells them to kick rocks. Mm-hmm. So they go back and they say, well, we don't want to participate in this. They don't want to be our partner. Okay, well, that's what your players want, though, and that's what actually growing the game on an international scale looks like because people in Japan are going to watch the Olympics. People in pick a country that's a non-traditional hockey country and say, hey, maybe we should try that. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's a good point. And, uh, you know, to, to your point, and, and I, I realize you have to think more so, you have to think more longer term, I think is what you're saying, not just how much money are we going to make from the Olympics this year or next year, whatever. So it's short-sighted. Gro- it's growing the game internationally. And also, like you said, I mean, your star players do have a big influence. I mean, these are the guys that, I mean, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, the top players in the game, that's, that's who sells tickets. That's who generates revenue at the end of the day, right? China, Australia, go through the list sure. of countries that the NHL would like to have some kind of footprint in. The biggest success that the NBA has had has been expanding in China and expanding elsewhere. If you are only doing a World Cup of hockey and you're only concentrating it between the six teams that always have ever been involved in the space, are you actually growing the game? Or are you catering or pandering to the, the fan bases in those countries? For you're just a- maintaining the game. It, you're maintaining, but you're also guess what it turns into a cash grab. That's all. Yeah, it exactly, and that's what Drew called the. I remember Drew called it the World Cup of Money back in 2016. Frank, last question for you. Okay, wait, I love, just to put I love, a bow on that. Sorry, I was ahead. at the yeah. 2016 World Cup of Hockey, and they put it in Toronto, thinking, "Oh man, this thing's going to be an incredible success business wise." Half of the games were half empty, and it generated half of what they thought it would. It was a total of $50 million, which meant 25 split between 30 at the time owners and 25 million split between all 700 and some players. Yawn. That's what they call pocket change for Drew. Uh, Last last question, last question, Frank. I like the article up on on Daily Faceoff because the Jets, of course, play the Devils tomorrow. And uh, you guys on Daily Faceoff had who's going to be the next year's Devils. 
Um, I'm not sure if how many people uh, picked Montreal. I know that you picked Montreal and at least one other, maybe it was Stephen Ellis or, or Mike McKenna, but um, I, I think you're right. I don't think enough people are talking about how quickly the Habs are going to be able to turn this around. You mentioned Lane Hudson, you know, it was pretty controversial that he wasn't a finalist for the Hopi Baker, even though, you know, Logan Cooley, Matthew Nees, pretty good players. Yeah. Um, but Lane Hudson looks like he's going to be a steal for the Habs on the back end. Uri Slikovsky, obviously, first overall pick. I mean, and, and the Habs have three uh, first-round picks as well, right? So um, I guess just how how impressed have you been with the way the Habs have been able to, you know, I guess, retool, rebuild uh, much quicker than other teams have been able to? Yeah, I, I think when you're when trying to answer that question is who's going to be the team that's sort of in the lottery zone now that takes the biggest step forward next season, the low-hanging fruit was Columbus, right? Like no one expected them to be in the position that they're in challenging for the 32nd spot uh, and Connor Bedard. And, and no one thinks that, you know, teams like Chicago or, or pick another team that's got a real long road ahead of them are going to turn it around next year. But to me, the Canadians are a really good bet because what I think they've done with their rebuild is it's been one smart move after a smart move after a smart move in the sense that they're not all grand slam upper deck home runs, but what they are is incremental wins. And I think the Lane Hudson pick is the perfect example because that was 62nd overall. And that was the pick that they got from the Arturi Lekkanen trade. And so you have a multitude of picks in the first and second rounds. And you have this defenseman who's on the smaller end that people have question marks about, but know that he has high end skill and his character was off the charts. I think he won the award last year, the EJ McGuire award for character uh, in the draft class. And you're like, why wouldn't we take a swing on this guy in this spot? And so it's just, you know, incremental wins, incremental gains, one smart move after the next that I think with their forward group, it's like, NHL elite caliber, I think, starting next season and beyond. And then you're looking at how do we fix our defense? How do we fix our goaltending? Well, there's questions to be answered, and it's not all going to happen overnight, but certainly a team that's trending in the right direction. Then I have to ask you this one, Frank. Do the incremental gains include Pierre-Luc Dubois this offseason? I knew that was coming. I knew it. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Like that was such an odd declaration on his part. Um, I just don't know why you do it first off, unless that's just how you truly feel. And you're just like, I'm going to get this out there and, and rip the bandaid off. I, it was a very odd turn of events. And I'd be curious if this team does find some margin of success this summer or this spring, excuse me, in the playoffs, does he change his view and change his mind? I don't know, but seems like a pretty natural landing spot to me. Time will tell. Frank Saravelli, dailyfaceoff.com, our good friend. It's always great catching up with you. We may disagree on international hockey. That's okay. That's what makes it fun. It'd be boring if we all saw it the same way. Exactly. The conversation is well worth it. Thank you, Frank. We'll let you get on with your Saturday. Best to you and the family. Have a good one, guys. Take care. There he goes. Frank Saravelli, our good friend, joining us this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Let's head to break. When we come back, more on the Jets, maybe some follow-up on that conversation we had with Frank. Hour number two, Sean Reynolds up at the bottom of the hour. Don't go anywhere. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on a Saturday morning. Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years. 
Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, John Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party. Even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Hi, Ez. A strange question for you. But why are you lying on the ground being crushed by a piano? Well, Drew, I definitely tried to carry this baby grand piano down the stairs by myself, and somehow I failed miserably. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That was a silly question on my part. My apologies. Would you like me to call Rolly's Transfer Moving and Storage to help you move the piano? They are the most experienced piano moving company in Winnipeg, after all. Yes, please call Rollies and hurry. This piano is very, very heavy. Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage offers stress-free residential moving services while taking great care of your personal belongings, including your piano. At Rollies, no job is too big or too small. For more information, visit Rollies.com. Hi, it's Drew from Illegal Curve here. Selling your home can be stressful, but it wasn't for me. Thanks to my friends at Zapia Group Realty, they made the process so easy. My home sold within 48 hours and with multiple offers. Zapia Group Realty took care of everything with their exquisite customer service and attention to detail. If you want to sell your home for more in less time, get started by talking to Frank and Mauro Zapia of Zapia Group Realty. Online at zapiagroup.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center, and they whiten my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go, We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs, from restorative to cosmetic dentistry, and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. So you're a pizza person, you married a wing person, but somehow your kids are salad people. You can't pick your fam, but you can pick your BP meal deal. Starting from $18.99 for takeout or delivery at bostonpizza.com. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Hour number two starting a little bit later than the top of the hour, but that's well worth it given the conversation we had with Frank in the last segment. Drew, you're uh, breathing a little bit heavy there. Do you just run back to the mic? Uh, I think I was mid-yawn when I started talking, to be perfectly honest. That's what happened. I was a combination of speaking and yawning at the same time. You can take your grandpa nap as soon as the show's over. I wish I could, Mr. Ginsburg. You have no idea how much I wish I could. But as you well know with uh, young children as well, once they stop napping, that generally means that you stop napping as well. Which is I miss uh, those days when Ruben and Ariella would have like weekend afternoon naps. Yeah. That was great. Yeah, exactly. Because you could time your nap at the same time. That's frequently what I did, but uh, alas, my children do not uh, do that anymore. Now you actually coordinate your naps with Brixton. <laughs> she naps a lot more than the, the than she, yeah than, than a number of years ago. That's true. That's my dog, of course. But uh, yes, that's exactly right. In any event, uh, obviously, great conversation with Frank. And the last question we talked about the Pierre Luc Dubois one is sort of a jumping off point uh, for for this segment. Before we bring Sean in, it was reported earlier. We this might week, bring Spencey in in a second, Drew. Well, maybe we have to. Uh, you know that you know 
Darren Dreger was on TSN 690 in Montreal talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois and sort of talking about Elliot Friedman's comments that it's 95% that Dubois is going to Montreal, whether or not it's this offseason or after his contract expires. If the Jets, you know, given everything we've seen around this team, you know, uh, you know, in the last month, you know, the eye roll last week, the news of the, the noise around Shifley, you know, Frank's comments about Connor Hellebuck, and he's sort of the linchpin to this whole thing. You know, it, I, that makes a lot of sense. You know, maybe we have been focusing on the wrong guy. If Connor Hellebuck says that he's not interested in re-signing, don't the Jets almost by default have to then go into a complete rebuild that allegedly they're not interested in going down that road uh, based on the comments from Dreger earlier this week, guys? Yeah, I mean, look, and, and, and it seemed like there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of what Drager was saying was a response. I think that's what you're getting at to what, yeah. what Friedman said, because they're, they're clearly, I mean, it's like, what angle are you approaching it from? Are you approaching it from Dubois' camp's angle, or are you approaching that from, you know, the, the Jets' angle? Because I think everybody likes Pierre-Luc Dubois' game and, and what he could do for the Jets, his age, right? Like, he's still in his mid-20s. So I think everybody would look at Dubois and they would say, yeah, this is a guy that you sign long-term, but the well, reality on, is the big... Let me stop you for a second, Ezzy. You talk about that. Would you give Pierre-Luc Dubois... If Pierre-Luc Dubois comes and says, I want eight years and ten and a half million dollars... Whoa, Drew, you're a little high there, but I mean, that I don't... I don't no, I don't think I don't think he's a ten and a half million dollar a year player. I mean, I haven't crunched the numbers. I mean, what is he making? Seven and a half million dollars this year? Something like that. I mean, a little I, less than that. If no, it's in the sixes. In the sixes, exactly. Hmm. Yeah, no, ten and a half million dollars, Drew, is too high. I mean, if you're asking me my opinion, yeah, I don't think it would. That's that's not only is that high. I think that's quite a bit high. Like I would have him more in the kind of eight to nine million dollar range. Like I would have to crunch the numbers here, right? I didn't prepare anything. Didn't prepare for you know a, a salary cap analysis, but yeah, I mean, I, and I don't know if you sign him to eight years or is it more like a five or six year deal. I don't know. But I think the point is like he's a big center, physical, scores goals, can can set up goals. Like he he's a guy that you know should be a consistent kind of thirty to thirty five goal, kind of seventy to eighty point guy for the for the majority of his career, right? But this is the point though. I think and and you're right, Drew Connor Hellebuck. If you were to rank, you know, the big four, and obviously you know the big four we're talking about here is Wheeler, Shifley, Dubois, Hellebuck. Hellebuck would clearly be number one. But I mean, aside from Wheeler, who's towards the end of his career, all of these guys are extremely important players. Like Dubois and Shifley are your top two centers, even though Shifley's playing on the wing right now. He's a center. Let's not get it twisted here, right? So, I mean, these are big moves coming up. And it's hard to say, you know, if the Jets, Dave, are going to go through a complete rebuild or if they're just going to move a few players, right? Like, I don't, I don't anticipate, regardless of what happens with the Jets and the playoffs, I don't see, you know, all four of those guys being traded. I just don't see that. Well, Hellebuck is definitely not being traded. But even Dubois, Shifley, and Wheeler, I don't necessarily think that, you know, if you're going to trade one of them, that means you have to trade all of them, right? Like, and, and we know that, you know, Chevy, if it's Chevy who's making the trade, by the way, that's a whole other thing, um, you know, to get to replace Shifley and to, to, to replace Dubois is going to be hard to do, Dave, like on a one-to-one -one basis, especially if you're talking about Montreal. Nick Suzuki's the captain of the Habs. He's not going anywhere. We've talked about this, right? Uh, you know, is it Kirby Dock? Well, it wouldn't be Kirby Doc for Pierre-Luc Dubois straight up. You'd probably have to throw in a defenseman, a prospect, a draft pick. So what I'm getting at here is it's very difficult to predict who gets traded, who do they get traded to, what do they get traded for. But the reality is if the Jets get knocked out in the first round, 
which I think, you know, is, is, a, is a real possibility. I mean, the Jets could obviously win a round or two. Um, but let's say if the Jets, you know, don't go far in the playoffs, I don't know how you bring the same core back. I just don't think you, you do that. So I think there are changes coming. All I'm saying is I, I just think it's hard to say, yep, you know, the Jets are going to get knocked out in the first round, Dave, and then Shifley, Dubois, Wheeler, they're all gone. Let me read this quote, Dave, from Darren Dreger, and then I want you on this. Uh, I, I don't think Winnipeg has the appetite to go into a full-on renovation, so they're going to need quality assets coming back. I mean, and that's and that's in reference to just trading Shifley, trading Dubois, just sort of trading the the core, if you will. I mean, if you're trading those guys, I'm not sure how you can avoid a full-on renovation. Who are you trading those guys for? Nobody's going to give you a equivalent asset that's younger, you know, for an older, for a guy who's older. I just don't know that how the two of them align with each other. It seems like almost impossible to trade all these guys and that yet not go into a, uh, into a rebuilding phase. Now it doesn't have to be a, you know, tear it down to its roots, like the Chicago Blackhawks building phase, but it's mm-hmm. to me to be impossible that you can do both based on the, 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 the chatter and the likely return and things of that nature. First of all, when did we start using the term renovation for uh, for this process? I, that's a new one for me. I, I, when Darren Dreger said it, I was like, mm, "That's an interesting one." I, but anyways, I don't want to get Mike Holmes on the show. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I didn't know that we became a uh, you know, I can't think of an illegal something. But regardless, the point is, yeah, like I heard Dreger's comments. Obviously, I transcribed them for a little website called LegalCurve.com. So if you haven't heard them or if you haven't seen them, you can read them on the website. Mm-hmm. They were posted a couple days ago. And uh, we have with a link to the interview he did on Montreal radio. But I, I mean, I think they're all tied together. I think that people are, are right in questioning, you know, and Frank's comments were, were interesting about Connor Hellebuck and he's not wrong, but I think Connor Hellebuck is fine. Like people say, Oh, Connor Hellebuck wants to go back to the States. I don't think so. I think Connor Hellebuck is fine. He's grown up in this organization. He's loyal to this organization, to the city, to the fans. I just think that, you know, if you pay him what he's worth and you keep this team competitive, then Connor Hellebuck's going to be a lot. I would give $10.5 million for eight years. It might be higher than that. It might be $11.5 million. But th- that big type of money, Drew, I would, I mean, nobody would sneeze at that, Dave. Like, yeah, you, no, you, I... give, you give Hellebuck top. Uh, I think Drew has mentioned this before. You give him the Carey Price contract. Yeah, look, and, and, and everyone points to Wheeler and says, look, at the end of that, at the end of Connor Hellebuck's career, that's going to be an, you know, it, it could be an anchor, it could be this, you know, especially with a guy whose face is much rubber and has played as much as he has. But at the end of the day, if you look, I know that folks are, are excited about Dominic DeVincentis, but, and I, you know, he's had a phenomenal year uh, with the battalions, but like at the same time, he's, he's a ways away from being an NHL goaltender potentially. And so the fact You're that looking at is, a couple of years with the moose, most likely. Yeah. And he's still got some junior hockey left in him. Right. So, I mean, right. you, you, you've got, yeah. So you got some time before, before you're talking about him. I mean, remember Connor Hellebuck's what as he a 2012 draft pick. Right. Yep. So, and so, it takes time for goaltenders, and we know that. And so the fact of the matter is that Connor Hellebuck is a guy, I think, and again, like I said, I'm not 100% on this, but I think that if you – he'd be happy to stick around as long as he knows that this team is contending. And Darren Dreger's comments didn't just talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois. He also mentioned Mark Shifley, right? He mm-hmm. mentioned the two of them as as potential trade options. And we generally know that Darren Dreger, if he says it, it's coming from probably within the Jets organization at the top level, right? So, you know – that to me is the interesting thing. And again, like I said, how this shakes out, how, because, you know, and Darren said it in the piece, if you lose your center depth, 
Who are you replacing him with? Who is your center of the future? Because it's not clear. It's not, not it's not any of these young guns who are like Cole Perfetti. Again, they've been playing him on the wing. Mm-hmm. We saw him on at center with the moose, but the Jets have played him on the wing. The Jets did the same thing with Jack Rosovic. Right? The Jets did the same thing with a lot of these young players. They they put them onto the wing, even though they're center, they don't allow them to kind of earn their stripes in that in that way with the with the NHL. So if you don't have Mark Shifley, if you don't have Pierre Luc Dubois, what is your what is your up the middle look like for the Winnipeg Jets? I would suggest you're up a creek with no paddle without center. So I mean, well, center yeah, and, depth and is Cole the hardest per, thing. Cole Perfetti can play center, and Chaz Lucius can play center. But the point you're trying to make, Dave, is like these guys are so young in their NHL careers that that you're not ready for these guys to be your first line and second well, line centers. Yet. And I don't think I don't think they're going to play center at the NHL level. They, well, that's they that's have, what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know if even. You know, Perfetti and Lucius are guys that the Jets prefer to use oh. up up the middle. I think right? those are wingers. I mean, and, I think well, those are wingers. But they're more importantly, they're they're too young. To oh, absolutely. Shifley and Dubois, right? Well, then let me ask you this. Then let me just flip the question around. Given what you've seen from the Jets, let's let, let let's go on the hypothetical. Say the Jets can re-sign to contract extensions: Hellebuck, Dubois. Shifley, forget about Wheeler because I don't think there's much interest in that given that you know his age and this very well could be his final NHL contract. But given what you've seen of this team in the last three or four months, why would you want to re-sign all three of those players? That's the more important thing. To me, it's not necessarily you know about how much money Dubois or, or Shifley or Hellebuck are going to get. It's that, is that who you want to build your team around? Like you said, Drew, over the next let's call it five to eight years, right? Because right. you can only sign a guy to a max eight-year contract, right? I guess you throw in the extra year for Dubois because he's got one year of RFA remaining. But you're right. And I think that that is at the at, at the core, to use a, 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 you know, a you know pun intended there. I mean, I, I, look, I think the defense needs to be revamped. And I think that's, again, something that is kind of lost a little bit here because we're, we're talking about a goalie and three forwards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and you've seen like, Dylan Sandberg, for example, take a really nice step in his development, right? Like he's established himself as a top six defenseman. Uh, Morrissey having his best career year, but we know Neil Pionk on the right side. And I always go back to the right side. You know, I like Dylan DeMello on the right side, but like, I think you need an improvement in your top four on the right side. So are you going to trade, you know, one of Shifley and Dubois to bring in a top, ideally a top pairing defenseman? I don't know because then it leaves a significant hole up the middle. Like I would think that the Jets would want to center in return for either one of Shifley and Dubois. But to me, that's like this has to be part of the conversation, Drew, about rebuilding this team, right? Like you're you've got some good pieces there, but again, like how how high do you think Vili Hainola's ceiling is, right? Like he's going to be part of that left side, um, but you know we know that this year he spent the majority of the year with the Moose, so that has to be factored in in terms of. You know, where is this team going? How you have to assess how good are your forwards? How good is your defense? How good is your goaltending? Which we obviously know uh, the number one goaltender is one of the best in the league, but David Riddick hasn't been that great of a backup. So that's another issue too. Are you going to bring in a backup? But based on what you're saying, Drew, yes. I don't think that the, I, I think that the Jets need to move on from the Shifley Wheeler core. Dave, I mean, same question, you know, given everything we've seen, given the tailspin, given the team's inability to, 
pull itself out of it. I mean, every team's going to go through a slump. So let's not confuse a slump with a tailspin because what the Jets have been in is a tailspin. Right. Given all the noise, given the eye roll. And I I mean, I know that some people are saying the eye roll is blown out of proportion. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it was in, wasn't in response to Mark Shifley's comments, but it was in response to the question. I don't know. That, that I, to, be honest, to be honest with you, Drew, that was my interpretation of it because based on his answer. Well, and based on his qualification the next day, which could simply have been him playing damage control. Right. But when I, the entire hockey world went, whoa. And I was like, in my head, I was like, is it whoa? Or was he just kind of like, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go there and start a, an issue with one of my players. And because again, he cut it off pretty quick. So, you know, again, well, but like course, I said, he's we not, not going to throw fuel on the fire. But I mean, you listen to, you know, forget about the eye roll then. Take bonus out of it completely. Look at DeMello's comments and look at Shifley's comments and tell me that that both of those guys who are in the same dressing room are yeah. on the same page as to how the team has to succeed. I mean, they're clearly not. Yeah, one's a defenseman, one's a forward. They have yeah. different ways of thinking of, of of how to use the puck. But look, at the end of the day, let's just stick with what your question is, as opposed yeah. to all the we're not we're not body language experts here on uh, cable net networks right now, trying to assess what this means and what that means because we would fail miserably. I can't even read your body language right now, Drew. Although look, you look kind of annoyed. So maybe maybe I'm doing a good job of reading of understanding it. But I, I think if you just focus on the question, yeah, it it is a good one. Like I I, I again would would say that. If this team is firing optimally, like they seem to be doing at the beginning of the year, then yes, this is a, what this team could have been, which is a center depth team with nice wing pieces, a great goaltender, and decent defense. And now the problem for this Jets team is, is the overbalance. You're overbalanced on the left side. You're underbalanced on the right side. And that's one of the biggest things. And as he's 100% right, like if you've got this glut, sorry guys, and not only is this glut already here this year, next year it's even worse because now Declan Chisholm is not going to be a uh, waiver exempt. So now you have to figure out what you're going to do with a guy who's an AHL all-star, obviously dealing, dealing with a high ankle sprain. So he's, he's, gonna, he's, he's going to play for the Habs, obviously. That's just what the well, Jets do. They lose young players, young defensemen for nothing on waivers to the Habs. But the point I'm making is that as, as he just, you know, put out there, right? You've got Josh Morrissey, not going anywhere. Brendan Dillon is, you know, solid. Dylan Sandberg, solid. So your, your left side is solid. Right, it's pretty and, good. And throwing Hanela, who if if you're keeping well, Hanela, he's got to be playing in the NHL next year. Like you, you would but, agree, Dave. But, this is the last year Hanela is going to be playing regular minutes in the A. But the problem, Ezra, is that his contract allows him to be waiver exempt next year, so he I'm could sure. be in the AHL next year. I agree with you. It's not a great situation. It's just the reality of things that he gets to be the low man on the totem pole. But at the end of the day, it still puts you with Logan Stanley. Still puts you with Declan Chisholm. Still puts you with Leon Gavanke. You know, Leon Gavanke scored more goals for the Moose now and will probably than any by the end of the season by any right side, well, any defenseman period. For so, so you've got all of these situations with players, and that's why I said the Jets did themselves a disservice by going into this slide because what they could have done was brought some of these guys up at the end of the season, let them get into some NHL games, do some talent evaluation at the NHL level, but they can't obviously afford to do that. But the reality for me is so you've got the left side locked up. Dylan DeMello, good second pair, solid second pairing guy. The biggest hole for this Jet team is that right side. So again, if you're going to remove from the center depth, you need to kind of fill that right side top pairing. You know, and we at one point the, the Flames were talking about getting rid of Mackenzie Weger. We're like, well, okay, there's a there's a right side top pairing guy you could get. We would look great alongside Josh Morrissey for the next eight years. But at the end of the day, the other option is what they should do, and I know they've done this a little bit with the Moose is try flipping like they did like Nate Schmidt talked to me about and talked before about 
when he got to Washington and the entire left side was was full, he flipped over to the right side. So Vili Hinola, flip Dick Declanchism, one of those guys flip over to the right side to add some depth to this organization to allow them to maybe make a move on that back end and create a little space. But again, that's not really answering your question, Drew. I'm just no, saying the problem is, well, the problem is that you, you what you're going to do is you can't really, sub, what are you going to do? You can't, you're not going to get a similar center. So you're not training away Shifley and Dubois. You're building, you got to, you got to maintain one of them. But, but why? I mean, if you're not going to resign Drew, them. Like, because you... Martin, look, of course, we, first of all, for a couple of reasons, number one, they're still under contract for, for, for one more year. So the right. reality okay. is that you, you, I'm not saying you go in as own rentals because that's lunacy. You're going to, you're, you're, you can't afford from a Jets perspective to lose them for nothing. You have to trade them. If they're not signing long-term here, mm-hmm. if you choose not to sign them or they tell you they're not signing, right. then you, before the trade deadline next year, and you know, oftentimes we see this kind of stuff happen at the draft. So that that's another situation, but I'm just saying that there's an opportunity to either do it at some point within the next year. But yeah, you'll you'll have to tell, evaluate that. But yeah, look, ultimately, if they decide, if Pierre-Luc Dubois decides he wants to be here and Mark Shively decides he wants to be here, I have no problem. Sorry, guys. I, I know people want to, you know, rip on 55 or rip on 80. But at the end of the day, they're two pretty good center depth. They were two pretty good centers in the NHL. Throw them with Adam Lowry. Throw them with another center. And that gives you very good center depth, which is what you need to win in the Stanley Cup. Look, on paper, your argument makes sense. If if you can re-sign those guys, I understand why the Jets would do so. I just don't know why the, the results would be any different than they currently have been for the last few months. That's my my issue. And they I won't be if you don't bring in you know some added scoring depth up front, and you improve the defense. In my opinion, to me, to me, it's I keep going back to the defense. And Dave's right. Like I like Brandon Dillon. I like Nate Schmidt. You know, I like Neil Pionk, but it's just, you know, it's not an extraordinary defense. Like, it's right. an average group of defensemen when you look at, you break down the numbers. It just is, right? And Connor Hellebuck, we know, like, he makes up for, you know, a lot of the warts on the Jets' back end. It's just like, we've talked about it. Like, the Red Wings game, guys, at this point is the outlier in the second half of the That's season, right. right? Like, the Jets have given up a lot of goals, and they haven't scored a lot of goals, right? So, to me, the defense has got to be better. But, yeah, Drew, I mean, I think there's something to be said that, you know, especially throw in Wheeler in there and he's got one year left on his contract and it's probably going to be a situation where you probably have to retain half the salary, right? But I think you have to make the decision, like, again, answer the question, where are you going here? Like, like, are you going to be, are you going to be a team that competes for the Stanley Cup next year? Well, if you're not, then is the goal just making the playoffs? Because I don't think that's a good goal for this team. That's my point. You know, you you, you can't be half pregnant. It's got to be one way or the other. And I don't know what re-signing this, these guys and keeping this core together necessarily does for you. At the same time, uh, you know, look, it's a, it's a conundrum. And I don't know that the Jets have the right person in charge to make that decision. And I don't know that necessarily, you know, it, 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 there's going to need to be a significant uh, reconciliation when this season ends to figure out what the strategy and what the approach is for this team. Uh, and it's really going to be, I think the Jets truly are probably the most fascinating team come this offseason. The Jets, and you mentioned it when we talked to Frank earlier, the Flames as well, very interesting offseasons ahead. But of course, regular season games still to come and maybe playoff games for one of those two teams. We will see. Coming up next, Sean Reynolds, Rennie himself joins us on the show. Don't go anywhere. Saturday morning, the Illegal Curve Hockey Show rolls on on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms. 
Bottom of hour number two. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, the Illegal Curve post-game show. Tomorrow evening, 8.45, after the yet another massive tilt for the Winnipeg Jets as they face off with the New Jersey Devils. And, of course, a little bit later than that, it will be the Kenny and Rennie post-game show with Sean Reynolds, our next guest here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. He did say that you're on your way. You tweeted that, which I assume was meant to be a message last night, but you are literally on your way somewhere as you join us from the car sean good morning it's a pleasure to see you good friend i'm doing great uh it's good to see you guys thanks for having me on well it's our pleasure sean are you on 317 right now sean no uh i'm in the parking lot of the chorus i was out with the family uh for breakfast and uh things kind of got switched around you guys let Frank Saravelli big time me and steal my slot. So I had to walk away from breakfast with the family so I could spend some time with you three lovely gentlemen. Oh, boy. That. Well, after Elliot big uh, big timed uh, Scott Billick and gave you stolen valor credit for the line of questioning, though, we have to, you know, payback is, is, a, is a biatch, as they like to say, right? Yeah, I, I don't know that it was as much about stealing credit for me as it was taking an opportunity to take a shot at me. And here's exactly. to find any way into it as he could so <laughs> I, I feel like i'm getting it no matter what happens here guys i don't know all love you know that all love first and foremost obviously we appreciate you uh, departing the family to join us um uh, you know last night's game for the jets just a huge victory a much needed easy win it wasn't like pulling teeth it wasn't like you know a bamboo shoots under the fingernails for this team for once they went out they got a commanding a commanding lead and then uh, rolled home to an easy victory by that 6-2 margin do you think that you know this is more than just one game or is it just you know the team getting one victory that they needed or do you see them signs of them maybe breaking through on the other end after after last night's victory yeah i, I don't know i think it's tough to tell with a game like that because i mean as much credit as i want to give the winnipeg jets and they deserve credit i mean they went out the, the lines that were put together went out and they all showed well they all blended well you saw a lot of chemistry so there's definitely signs there but i mean Detroit was terrible yesterday. Like they were, they were a bad hockey team yesterday. And this is, that was a bad hockey team. That's been a bad hockey team for the last quarter of the season right now, coming off of a back to back in which, Hey, they're great. And they knocked off the Carolina hurricanes, but it looked like they spent everything they had. And they're starting their third string goaltender, a 31 year old goaltender with 21 games of NHL experience. That should tell you everything that you need to know about his acumen. So uh, it, it's, it's, tough to tell because the one thing I'll say about the Winnipeg Jets, and I've always thought this, and I think you see it a lot earlier in the season, if if you want to play a certain style of wide-open game against the Winnipeg Jets, that's what the Winnipeg Jets love to play, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you want to play wide-open pond hockey with them, which is what we were seeing the Detroit Red Wings play last night, the Jets will burn you, and they love playing that style of game. I think the biggest challenge that the Jets have seen down the stretch here is that style of game that is played a lot more often earlier in the season has not been played and isn't played that often by teams, especially playoff caliber teams as the season goes on. And the challenge that I always think that the Jets run into is when teams interrupt their flow, that's when you kind of see whether or not they're willing to fight through it or not. The Jets weren't asked to fight through anything last night. The Jets were basically got to play the kind of game they wanted and go about it against a goaltender that wasn't that sharp, or maybe was sharp, but that's as good as he's able to, to muster um so 
I'll say this I, again. I don't want to take anything away from the Jets in the position that they were in in that game. The Jets played that situation as good as they possibly could, and we haven't seen the Jets do a lot of playing the best they possibly can in in a position. Right? They go up against San Jose, who's last place in the league at the time they play them, and play right down to their level. I mean, I saw that game and I thought these are two teams that look like. They are perfectly matched for each other. I'm not, I don't subscribe to the idea that the Jets were the way better team in that game and got goalie. They gave up just as many high danger chances as the San Jose Sharks did. They deserved their fate in that game. So mm-hmm. for them to come out and take advantage of a Detroit team that looked tired and, and really has lost faith in its season at this point, good for them to do that. But now can, can they carry that forward against the New Jersey Devils? It sure looks like they can by the way they play. But the one thing we know about this team is consistency has not been there down the stretch. And every once in a while, you think, okay, here they are. They're about to wake up. And then they go out and lay an egg the next game. So Sunday, I mean, I can't tell you guys one way or another what, what I think is going to happen. Well, I can tell I, 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 I think that they're doing a little bit better. And yes, they're getting the Devils on the back end of a back-to-back, so they've got to take advantage of that. It's as good a situation as they can hope for playing against the Devils at this point in the season at home with them coming off a back-to-back and traveling. But whether or not they'll be able to take advantage of it, guys, my guess is is not as good as anyone's. <laughs> Sean, we obviously have to talk about the line combinations, and it's you know I, I find it funny, at least. We always talk about what we're going to talk about before the show starts. And it's almost always the forward line combinations because obviously, you know, there's not a lot to touch on when it comes to the the D pairs and the goaltending because we know that Connor Hellebuck is almost always going to be in the starters net, right? But, I mean, the big move obviously being Mark Shifley moving to the wing along with uh, Kyle Connor and and Pierre-Luc Dubois and then Nemesnikov with Ehlers and Wheeler, Nino Niederreiter obviously on the third line with Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton. And, you know, everything seemed to work out, like you said, like aside from not getting a power play goal – I mean, six goals, six two. I mean, that pretty much went as good as you could script it, right? But I guess, what do you think of those line combinations? You know, for the next six games. I mean, forget the playoffs here for a second. You know, you like Nino Niederreiter that he can, you know, add a little offensive punch. You know, Nemesnikov. We know he's that Swiss Army knife, like that Michael Frolik type of player. But realistically, Sean, like, how long can we expect Mark Shifley to be playing on the wing here? Well, based on his comments from from the last game, uh, after the last game, it, maybe it won't last a period against the, the New Jersey Devils. Like I, I was tr- truly like, I know we've been wondering where Mark Scheifele's head is at and and where his game is at, but last night was a situation where the first line worked and the second line worked and the third line worked right and so in order to get those combinations mark shifley got moved to the wing and for a lot of that game took on center duties like really you know he starts out and he's on the wing but it's really kind of a splitting the job mm-hmm. with pierre luc dubois so it's not even it's not even like it's a centerman being taken away entirely from the position he loves it's a centerman who's like splitting those duties with another centerman and and they had great success in that game so you would have expected you know, Mark Shifley, when he was asked about the situation to be like, listen, guys, wh- whatever works, and this sure looked like it worked, that, that's what we'll do. Let's make this work here. But with the caveat of Rick Bonus, which I thought was so weird and so strange that he said before <laughs> the game that, well, we talked to Mark and we talked about moving him to the wing and told him as soon as you're not happy on the wing, we'll move you back to center, which mm-hmm. I just thought like this does not sound like 
you know, a, a coach talking to a player, this sounds like a coach trying to, you know, convince a player to, to try and get on board with something. But the idea that Mark Shifley will be moved back to center whenever he feels like he, he's not getting this anymore. What I heard from Mark Shifley after that game yesterday was not, listen, this worked and whatever works for this team, let's just stick with it. Let's not bra- break what's what's already working. What I heard from him was a guy who was like, yeah, it's weird going to the wing and he wasn't totally sold on it. And the guy who his coach has already said, if he wants to go back and go back, sounded like a guy to me last night, guys. I don't know what you took away from that, but sounded to me like a guy who already has one foot in that center position and one foot in the wing position. So how long it lasts, I don't know, because if what the coach is saying is true, that Mark Shifley has the the right to to turn back to center whenever he wants, I, I mean, would we be surprised if he pulled that card and said, I don't like this anymore. I want to go back to center. And the crazy part about this is the Mesnikov, Ehlers, and Wheeler worked great last night. And why? Well, because it worked the last time they were together. And that line was doing a great job around the time that they went down on that Florida trip. They were working together great. And then they got torn apart. And it was interesting after the game when we were talking to Rick Bonus. I think he was irritated at me when I when I asked this question or or responded with the question, but I asked him what that line needs to do for him, you know, to put them in a position where he doesn't break them up. And, and his response was, well, they keep doing what they're doing and we can't break them up. And I was like, yeah, but they were doing that. You already (laughs) broke them up once already. Right. And so I think he was irritated that that I pointed that out, but I, I, I didn't like that one bit back at that time when that line was working, Pierre-Luc Dubois was out of the lineup. That's why it worked. I just, I don't understand why in the history of the Winnipeg Jets, it seems that whether it's Rick Bonus or Dave Lowry before that, or, or uh, Paul Maurice before that, there's always this, you know, there's injuries and a line is working and you discover this, you discover this found gold and then they throw it out the window as soon as someone comes back because they're trying to make the individual that comes back comfortable rather than go with what's working in the lineup. This Nemesnikov line is working. He's coming and does the, everything that he's been asked to do since he came in at the winter, as, with the Winnipeg Jets. That line should not be touched. So if Mark Shifley decides he doesn't like it on the wing anymore, I don't know where he's going to go. I doubt he's going to go to the third line and push uh, push Adam Lowry down to the fourth line. So I think the only options are that Pierre-Luc Dubois gets moved to the wing or the Nemesnikov line gets broken up even though they're working. Sean Reynolds, our guest on this Saturday morning edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. You know Sean, of course, as Rennie from Kenny and Rennie and all the great work Sean does with our friends at Sportsnet. nothing every now and then i just you know my my the goods the good angel on my shoulder overtakes the devil on my other shoulder and the angel won out on that i know the feeling i know the feeling you know sean going back to the uh the scrum with rick bonus on thursday after practice you asked him about stubbornness about the team being stubborn and yeah. what, what, you know, what was your, what was your takeaway and me, me feeling uh, most, hopefully people listen to your media availability available on illegalcurve.com. But you talked about that concept of stubbornness and it's not just, it's ironic because when you were answering the previous questions, it's not just on the players. I think stubbornness is in effect. I think it's with the coaching staff as well, but you were obviously with, you were speaking with respect to the way the players were, were, were fulfilling their roles. 
Yeah. Well, first, I want to give you guys a, a, a thanks because you guys are giving me credit for the questions that I actually asked after Elliot Friedman, you know, gave away all of that credit uh, that should have gone to Scott Billick. So I appreciate you guys uh, being, you know, in tune with my work in this. Um, I asked that question because when I'd asked Adam Lowry about this, to, to me, what I, I thought was interesting was after the San Jose game, what I took away from that was that Rick Bonus was challenging the players that he didn't think were stepping up to the table, right? And what th that would not include a player like Adam Lowry, who's been like blood and guts trying to drag this team into the fight this entire time, that some players look to be absent, to be, to be quite honest. And so when I asked him about, you know, his coach's assertion that, you know, there were players not giving their all effort-wise, Adam Lowry's assertion was, well, he doesn't think that it's that. He thinks that it's essentially, uh, you know, a stubbornness in the way they play, that the Jets can be stubborn in the way they play. And to me, guys, that right there is him talking about the issue that has been plaguing this team with flashing light bulbs surrounding it in neon for years. This team was found something that worked at the beginning of the year and chose to go back and play the way that things haven't been working for years. And I think the reason is, I've said this before, I think the Jets like to play a certain style of game. It's what we saw last night, wide open, swooping around the ice, making long cross-crease passes, finding seams, popping puck into the back of the net. That's what they like to do. And I think whenever their offense gets flowing, even if their offense comes in the way that it did at the beginning of the year, which was cram the front of the net, shoot from the point, pounce on loose pucks, ugly goals, once they start getting that feeling going, then they revert to that old style of play. And so I thought it was really interesting that Adam Lowry basically, I thought, pointed to the very heart of the issue with the Winnipeg Jets. When I asked Rick Bonus about it, he gave one of those answers where it's like it's he's saying by saying not very little, he's saying a lot. His eyes basically said, uh, yep, and he, he just touched on it. It was another one of those, you know, that's what we're dealing with kind of situations. But to me, that's the central issue. The thing I found interesting about that afterwards is the next day asking Kyle Connor if he thought that was the issue and him essentially saying that he disagrees with that. And what that tells me is you've got certain players that know what the problem is and a coach that knows what the problem is. And then when other players are presented with that, they either don't know that's the problem or they refuse they ref, or they don't agree that it's the problem or they refuse the idea that it's the problem because they're some of the players that are most stubborn in playing that style. To me, that whole thread of conversation with Adam Lowry and Rick Bonus and Kyle Connor, I'm wondering, I, I, I throw into that the idea of Mark Shifley and his different philosophy that he had compared to what Rick Bonus had. And what I see is that there's that, that this team isn't on the same page, that there's certain players that think this is what we've got to do to get out of this, certain players that think this is what we have to do to get out of this. And what I see from that is there's a coach that's trying to put out a message. And, and I don't know what you guys saw. I know that you were there, Dave, but I thought that Rick Bonus really backpedaled after his comments uh, in San Jose. He came out really, yeah. really hard in San Jose and then really soft-pedaled everything. And not just soft-pedaled, I think his message kind of changed somewhat. Mm -hmm. And that, that changing of that message tells me that he's trying to reach players in that dressing room 
that didn't agree with the other message. So I take a look at this and I think that the Winnipeg Jets as a dress room are not on the same page. They're being pulled in a number of different directions. Maybe it worked out last night. Maybe last night is the first step in saying that a certain power block in the dressing room won out and now that's the direction they're going to go in and say well we got to get in a unified direction if it's not what the coach originally said we're going to get on this one because at least if we're all on the same page we'll give ourselves a chance but boy oh boy guys with six games left in the season to be in a situation where the room is still trying to figure out what direction to go in it's no I mean if you want to find a reason why the Winnipeg Jets have been part of what is, you know, potentially a monumental collapse out of the playoffs. That would be a big reason why. Well, let me ask you this, Sean, building on that comment, we know that the season has gone into a tailspin. And even if the Jets do squeak in, they're unlikely to do anything of significance. So that takes you to the off season. And we know the contracts that are expiring pretty quickly, you know, after another year, you know, you look at this core, you know, and let's say, you know, Hellebuck, or forget about Hellebuck. Let's say Shifley and Dubois come to you and say, we would like to re-sign. We'd like to spend another five, six years here as a member of the Winnipeg Jets. Given all the noise of the last couple of years, given everything you've seen from this team, for the last couple of years why is re-signing these guys the right decision when it's been so difficult to achieve really anything with this group as currently constructed yeah i mean that's that's a good question there's there's right now i don't think we you know your hypothetical suggests mm-hmm. that they would be staying around here and i don't think that that's happening but regardless of the hypothetical if that was what they were doing you're asking the, the proper question should the Winnipeg Jets be re-upping with a core that now, regardless of whether the Jets make the playoffs or not, have shown their capability of, of kind of falling entirely apart, right? Like they did mm-hmm. it last year. They're doing it this year. And let's be honest, when we talk about this core, I, 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 the first game of the season, we did a Wednesday night hockey, that game that the Jets pulled out an overtime victory against the Colorado Avalanche. And we showed the direction that these two teams went in over the last number of years. And the Colorado Avalanche just went up and up and up. Every year since 2018, the Winnipeg Jets have got worse, right? So so you ask the proper question, what would it take to sign those players? And if you are signing them, what's the expectation that you're going to bring the band back and that they're <laughs> going to turn everything or, you know, turn everything around? That, that The signs tell us that that's not going to happen. And that's why I think, you know, someone said to me last night, well, are you sure we can't convince uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois to stay? And I was like, well, I mean, everything I've heard, the answer is no. And they said, well, what if we throw like $12 million at him a year for like seven years? And I was like, why would you do that? <laughs> why, would you, why would you pay someone? Why would you overpay someone to stay someplace that they didn't necessarily want to and put yourself in a situation where you've taken a player and grossly overpaid that player just to stay like this is mm-hmm. you it needs to make sense financially for them to stay stay there so if the jets get into a situation where they're overpaying players just to stay then you better make sure that they're the right players that are figuring this out and it's hard to tell what that is right now because the jets fell apart last year were a train wreck on their way out of the playoffs and guys if they fall out of the playoffs this year and like so much of this is going to hinge on that game wednesday but if they fall out of the playoffs, even if they don't why would you have faith that re-signing all of these players would would end up in a different result i i go back to this and i say i know that a lot of people disagreed with me on this and i understand why they do because 
early on heading into the trade deadline, I had thought that the Jets needed to throw everything they had at this trade deadline. But when they started falling apart like this and we saw them returning to what they've been in the past, I had thought it would have been crazy to throw resources at the trade deadline because why would you throw away your future for this team because of what they're showing you? And and I contend, you know, a lot of people will say, well, if they would have gone and got three or four or five more players, maybe they wouldn't be in this situation. But the very heart of this team is what's failing this team right now. And that wouldn't have changed if you would have gone and got three or four more players. And how would everyone be feeling right now if Kevin Sheveldayoff would have gone and mortgaged the future and sent away Chaz Lucius and Rutger McGordy in a first-round pick and maybe Cole Perfetti to bring a whole bunch of guys in right now? And, and the very guys at the heart of this team had continued on to go 19 games without a goal, 12, 17 games with only one goal like this. This core has shown, this is a long way of winded way of me saying this core has shown us what it's capable, both good and bad. And the good for the most part is pretty distantly in the rear view mirror. And the bad has been front and center, both last season and for the last half of, half of this season. When people show you who you are, who, who they are, you got to pay attention. Yeah, absolutely. And and that leads nicely into this is going to be the last question, Sean, because we want you to rejoin your family for for breakfast. But, you know, I had <laughs> to ask just, you. The show's coming to an end. Don't don't try and butter. No, no, no. We're going to let you go a few minutes before we wrap up, Sean. <laughs> yeah, Sean, actually look at the private chat if you want. We said we did say let this we want to let Sean go. This is going to be the last one so he can rejoin his family. Yeah, so... in, in related news, if, you, if your wife needs a good family law attorney, we know a few that we can uh, send <laughs> yeah. her way. Dan Manuk is a great family lawyer. Dave's brother of course, um, and Dave's Absolutely. dad wasn't a bad lawyer either. But no, just so last you're question. trying to drive. So you're trying to drive some business to him. I see what's happening. <laughs> That's all we're doing, Sean. That's why we had you on <laughs> to drive business. But no, Dylan, Dylan Demello is the guy I wanted to ask you about because obviously huge snipe yesterday uh, versus the Red Wings at home, and the, yeah, it's recency bias. But I think you would agree, like he has been so solid all year long. Just how nice was it, though? You know, for for him, but also for you know, how nice has it been to see him? And he's obviously an underrated player, I think. You know, Dave mentioned this on, on the Illegal Curb Twitter yesterday, set a career high for points, had a goal and an assist. Um, I just think, you know, sometimes he's underappreciated, especially with, you know, J-Mo out of the lineup. Uh, I thought he really stepped up and, and, and was a real leader out there yesterday versus the Red Wings. Yeah, so I, I had a good conversation with him. We did a story on one of our broadcasts. I can't remember if it was a Hockey Night in Canada or not, but I talked to Dylan DeMello about, like, the mindset that goes into becoming a more offensive player. Like, does it just happen? Do things just roll your way? Or was this like an intention for him to come in this year? And he said, absolutely it was. And I found it a really interesting conversation because his take on becoming more offensive was A, he thought he'd really locked down his defensive game and taken it to, you know, a place where he's at the top of his game defensively. So why not add in that element? But B, the other part of it is after the conversations they had with Rick Bonus, and Rick Bonus made it clear that he wanted uh, uh, Josh Morrissey to come into this year and be a more offensive threat this year. The, the philosophy that Brendan Dillon came in with was if I can become, if I can cover him off, right? and make sure that he knows he can jump into the play and activate and get up and be that defensive guy. That's one thing. But if I can add an offensive element to this too, what that means is the, def the, the defenders aren't going to be able to just lock in on Josh Morrissey because he's the offensive threat and I'm just sitting here making sure no one goes back the other way. If I can add an offensive element into this as well, 
then what it's going to do is it's going to force the defenders to respect me and my ability to put the puck in the back of the net or generate offense. It's going to force people to my side of the ice, and that's just going to open up the ice that much more for Josh Morrissey. So his idea was if I become a more offensive player, it's going to allow Josh to become a more offensive player. And I think it's one of the unheralded things that we should be talking about more in this potential Norris Trophy winning run that Josh Morrissey is on right now is that Dylan DeMello has played a huge role in this in allowing him to play freely because he's got him covered off defensively, but he's also opened up more ice for him by being a more offensive threat. And I thought the fact that Josh Morrissey was out of the lineup last night and the mindset of Dylan DeMello is, is not, let's just survive while Josh is gone. It's like, hey, Josh is out. We need someone to pick up the slack for him. And he goes out and does that. I just think Dylan DeMello's mindset has been the mindset of a winner this year. And good on him to, to find ways to grow his game and go about it in a really smart, cerebral way that he had a very specific uh, a strategy to do it and play off another player. Like how good of a teammate is that? How good is that individually for him to build that plan? Dylan DeMello put the work in, put the thought in, and he's reaping the rewards and he deserves it. Another great appearance on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show yes. from our good friend, Scott Billick, doing a great <laughs> job this morning. <laughs> Uh, I didn't deserve that, but I guess Sportsnet overall did. So the devil, the devil won out that time. The devil beat the angel on that one. There, Sean. Sean Reynolds is our good friend. You know his work on Sportsnet, and of course on Kenny and Rennie as well. Sean, go have breakfast with your family. Apologize to them on our behalf. Yeah, just blame us, Sean. It's all our fault. Yeah, just Sportsnet and Daily Face have beef. Yeah, there you there you go frank i'm coming for you buddy here's the call out <laughs> thank you sean be well buddy we'll see you again around the rink tomorrow night thanks john there he goes sean reynolds our good friend joining us this morning for a really fun appearance on the program yeah. always great to get Do you think he ordered it. yet because his food would definitely be cold that was like a 25 minute segment you know it's a great question as i don't know if he's ordered or not uh, we'll get him back on the out. line let's find out <laughs> Call him back, get him back in the car, and, and, and we'll see if we get uh, if we can find an answer to that. This has been a really fun show on this Saturday morning. Great to be back together for the full two hours and me no longer being in prison like I looked like I was uh, last week when I was broadcasting from Lawless's backyard. Well, Drew, uh, we're here every week. Like, you know, we we don't take the vacations like you do. We're not wealthy industrialists like you are. So <laughs> yeah, Penny Packer. We're, exactly. we're after every Jets game, after every Saturday. Dave and I stick in Manitoba. We don't go anywhere. Right, oh, you know what can I what can I say? It's high, it's high being it's hard being the high roller that I am. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow evening with the Illegal Curve post game show following the Jets and the New Jersey Devils. Eight forty five p.m. back here on our YouTube channel. A huge game as the Jets look to maintain their playoff positioning. Maybe improve upon it. The Predators are in action in about an hour's time at home against the St. Louis Blues. The Jets will hit the ice. Uh, in at the uh, Hockey for All Center. So that yeah. would be, I guess, open to the public. I'm not sure if it's a full practice or if it's a optional, but they're hitting the ice in about an hour's time, if I'm not mistaken. You All the latest from practice will be available on illegalcurve.com.
Winnipeg.com. That's, of course, your home for all your Winnipeg Jets, Manitoba Moose, and Winnipeg Ice news. The Ice winners last night in Game 1 of their Western Hockey League playoff series. Uh, no surprise there, given the juggernaut that they've been. Uh, it's really, you know, they're, they're, they're hoping to come through the first couple rounds unscathed before this competition really steps up in the latter rounds of the Western Hockey League as the Ice look to make a run to the Memorial Cup. I want to say a big thank you to Frank Saravelli and Sean Reynolds for joining us on the program in case they missed any of the show or you missed any of the show. They didn't miss any of the show, Drew. They were on the show. Well, they may have missed other parts of the show, but in case anyone missed any part of the show, the immediate replay is on our YouTube channel. And of course, the podcast edition will be up very shortly thereafter. Uh, If you haven't already done so, leave us some feedback on the iTunes page. Leave us some feedback wherever you get your podcast. We always love hearing from you good folks about what you liked and what you didn't like, uh, especially when that didn't like thing. It, It has to do with yours truly. Big thanks to our sponsors. They make the this show, they make the post-game show. They make the website a possibility. Our friends at Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club, The Keg, Linden Market Dental Center, Grid Park, Betway, Rolly's Transfer, Tough Duck, Seagram's, and Boston Pizza support these fine businesses because of their continued support of Illegal Curve hockey as we mentioned tomorrow night's post game show 9 8 45 p.m we'll be back doing that for dave manuk for ezra ginsburg i'm your host Rumendell. if it's saturday it's the illegal curve hockey show live on youtube thanks for listening to this broadcast from illegal curve hockey for more great illegal curve content subscribe to the illegal curve youtube channel follow at illegal curve on twitter facebook and instagram and visit your online home for hockey in winnipeg illegalcurve.com